This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the Stinkin' Truth Podcast with Mark Schlereth. Presented by Core Water. Hey, welcome into the Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Mark Schlereth alongside Mike Evans. Scott uh, DeHub producing the show. I'd like to thank our presenting sponsor, Core Water. Great people over at Core Water. You can check them out at hydratewithcore.com. Delicious, crisp, clean, award-winning taste. You can get it anywhere water is sold. Love Core Water. Always at the gym with a bottle of Core Water. Check them out, hydratewithcore.com. Mike, how are you, my friend? I am good. How are you doing? I, I'm doing I'm doing good. I, I just, uh, you know, we've talked about Chris Harris Jr. here in Denver, uh, kind of flexing his... I don't know, player muscle, whatever leverage you have as a player when they start the OTAs, the offseason training activities. Uh, he doesn't show up because he wants a new contract, deserves a new contract. Um, you know, that's the the leverage they have, and it's going on in Seattle right now too, isn't it? How about that? How about Russell Wilson saying he wants a deal done by April 15th? April 15th is when Seattle begins – their, their offseason. Yeah, their OTAs. Uh, conditioning programs. And he says he wants it done by then. So, I mean, are we looking at literally a drop dead, this gets done, otherwise Russell Wilson will be a free agent after next season? Uh, you know, it is it's it is interesting in that the teams always kind of dictate, right? Yeah, I, I wonder how much of an effect um, Antonio Brown has had on players. In that, like, I know Antonio Brown didn't do it to, you know, galvanize players and say, hey, let's run the charge or let's, you know, you know, follow me with these pitchforks and lant, or as you say, pitchforks and lantons. But, you know, I, I don't think he did it because of that. He wanted a new contract. He wanted out of Pittsburgh. He wanted more money. And Pittsburgh wasn't going to give it to him. Um, but I think to some degree, maybe unintended consequences, it has empowered players. Because the teams always say, hey, we don't deal with contract negotiations until after the draft and until after, you know, our, our second and third round of free agency, right? The, the second tier and the third tier players. And players are saying, no, pound sand. Forget that. Am I not more important? Is Russell Wilson not more important than anybody you're going to draft or any, you know, any B-level or C-level free agent that you might you know, enter an agreement to here in the next couple of weeks. Is he not more important than those guys? Why does he have to, because he's under contract, why does he have to put his wants, desires on the back burner for the team to, or, you know, to orchestrate the way the team orchestrates, the way they always have? I feel like players right now have been more empowered and are are basically trying to do a little bit more from a, a dictation standpoint. Like, for Chris Harris Jr., if you dictate to the Broncos at the cornerback position and say, no, I want my deal now, now all of a sudden, if you know that he's going to become a problem child and he's not going to do what you ask him to do, very much like Khalil Mack last year with the Raiders, I'm not doing it. Now you have to 
reapproach and reevaluate the way you're going into the draft. The Broncos signed a bunch of corners in the offseason. Kareem Jackson they signed, Ryan Callahan they signed. Now if Chris Harris Jr. says, uh-uh, I'm not going to play this game. I want my deal now. Now you have to reevaluate your draft position. If you were thinking, hey, Vic Fangio last year with the Chicago Bears took a linebacker, and that's the direction we're going in, maybe now all of a sudden corner comes into play. Because if Chris Harris Jr. isn't going to play and isn't going to play nice, do we need to draft his replacement? Like, you look at Seattle right now. Russell Wilson can dictate. Why are we even at this point, though, with Russell Wilson? I mean, you're talking about a quarterback. You're talking about a quarterback who is still in his prime and figures to be in his prime for the next six, seven years. Why are we even talking about this? How in the world is a quarterback of his stature even going into the last year of his contract? Why hasn't it already been reworked? Is 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 there doubt in Seattle about whether or not they want to commit long term to Russell Wilson? No, I don't. Th- I don't think there. I don't think there's doubt. I mean, having been there, having been at their facilities, talked to Pete Carroll, talked to Russell Wilson, having done you know not only a game at Seattle but done a game, um, you know, done a game here in in Denver. Um, I don't think there's any question. I, I think the deal is is they feel like now, oh, we've got time. Like, Russell's under contract here, and we've got time. We'll get to him when we get to him. And I think players are going, no, 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 you're going to get to me now. Like, I need to be a priority. And you think about the way Seattle is orchestrated over the course of his career. They drafted him, what, in the third round? And they were a team that was built on defense, built on Pete Carroll's defense, built on that matchup cover three with the Legion of Boom and you know, and and a linebacking core and a defensive front, and they were an outstanding defense. And eventually, they transitioned away from you know the Cam Chancellors of the world who was injured and the Richard Shermans. They let him go, and you know Earl Thomas got hurt last year. They let him go. He's in Baltimore now, and they've really transitioned to to um, you know building their team around Russell Wilson. But they really haven't given him. You, know, you look at their weaponry, so to speak. They really haven't given him. A whole lot up front. The offensive line has not been very good. Um, but but that but that's my point. What what could possibly happen in the draft that would be so monumental that you would have to pump the brakes on waiting until after that draft to commit to Russell Wilson? I mean, in in theory, everything you're going to do in the draft is with the idea of helping Russell Wilson. So what what are you waiting for? I mean, the right. only thing that makes sense is if you're not wanting to deal with Russell Wilson until after the draft because you might be thinking about drafting a quarterback, which doesn't seem no that like that makes seem, any that sense. That doesn't seem feasible either. So I, then, I, I are guess, you doing I just, it because just, you've always done it? Like you've always done it that way. You've always been able. Are you to, afraid of saying a precedent that other players will be able right. to march into, you know, Pete Carroll's office and say, "Well, what about me? My hands out." You did it with Russell. I think the I think organizations. And if that was the case, right? Let me, uh, I, I'm sorry. That, no, the thought ahead. just popped into my mind. If that's the case, then wouldn't you think that Russell Wilson and the Seahawks would have already sort of had this conversation back channels and be like, "Look, look, you know, 
understand. We, we have this policy in place because I, we can't have I, rank and okay. file number 53 coming in, but wink, wink, we know you're different. But here's, here's the deal. I think that – I think it's always been done that way in the NFL, and the NFL is always dictated in that – this is the way we do things, and you're just players, and we're management, and we're managing 53, and you're just managing yourself, and you're going to have to be patient. And players are starting more now than probably ever to understand their value to a franchise. I mean, come on. Russell Wilson jerseys. I mean, I've been to Seattle. I've called the game there. Dude, the, the number of three jerseys that are out there in the uh, in the stands – the number of support, what he's what he's meant to that organization. Now, there has been, you know, a handful of defensive players that, you know, have either been critical or, you know, aren't real, you know, that, that most of them aren't there anymore, but haven't really been, for whatever reason, haven't been Russell Wilson fans. Do you think, and Colin Cowherd brought this up the other day, I was out at FS1 doing Colin Cowherd show, Show and he was like, he thinks Russell Wilson would love to get moved to, uh, excuse me, to uh, New York. Like his wife is his wife is this incredibly successful musician and and yada yada yada. So that was that was, you know, Colin Cowherd's speculation. But I think we're in a in a time right now that players are understanding their value. They're understanding you know, their leverage or their importance. And they're not going to just sit back anymore and and be dictated to by the organization. Hey, we're going to wait until, you know, it's good for us because that's how we do it. No. Uh-uh. I want to know that you're committed to me today. Like, you know, it's, it, it, it's like the guy who's on a seven-year engagement. Right? Like, dude, you're already common law. Like, what are you waiting for, Right? Like step up, like you're tired. You know this is Russell Wilson. This is Russell Beyonce. Put a ring on it. Here's and and I'm I'm glad that you brought up because you were around the Seahawks two games this past year because I was I you know I came across uh, an older Sports Illustrated article uh-huh. that was written before last season. Okay, and it talked a lot about the strife in that Seattle organization, a lot of the defensive players upset at the way that that once great Seattle team was dismantled Mm -hmm. and how there seemed to be one set of rules for Russell Mm -hmm. and another set of rules for everybody else. The tone of the article was very clear that a lot of those guys don't like Russell Wilson. Correct. Now, this was prior to last season. Like I said, it was an yeah. older article. What about what you experienced and what you picked up on when you were around the Seahawks last season? Because like I said, this came out before last season. You were right. with them during the season. Did you come away? And the fact that we're what we're talking about right now, is, is there maybe a sense that Russell wants out? Because maybe Russell knows he's not... You know, truly liked in that organization right. I, by I a lot of teammates. I don't think it's. I don't think it's that. I think Russell is respected, but Russell is different. You know, when you're talking to people within the organization, you know, Russell's got this old soul about him. 
Like Russell isn't about, hey, we're going, you know, we're all going out to the club or whatever. It's like, no, thanks. I'm good. I got other things I want to do. That's who he is. I find him engaging, intriguing. I find him pretty authentic. Like, I really, I really enjoy the heck out of meeting with Russell Wilson. And like we talk not football stuff, like where you really get him because he's very programmed. And I can understand like this can can probably rub guys the wrong way. Like you don't even have to ask him a question, and he'll go into a you know a, a six minute diatribe of football one hundred and one, and it's very, you know, it's just it's all the right thing, you know, it's all the right stuff, but it's not. There's no, it's not genuine, you know. There's no. It's just you're you're answering football questions, you know what I mean? It's like it's very politician like. And then you get him talking off the football subject, man, and you talk about family and you talk about the way he was raised and it's real and then he becomes totally engaged. Like he 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 gets off the politician stuff that, you know, he's been trained well, right? I'm I'm not gonna tell you anything that may, you know, open us up to scrutiny or may develop or, or show a weakness or whatever. And I think there are certain guys that probably because they look at him as, you know, he's first to work and he's there early and he's working hard, you know, and he's doing it, it make too much part of the company. And and I wonder if this is not a way of saying, listen, guys, I'm I'm just like you guys, the rest of you guys in the locker room, and I'm going to put my foot down. I'm not just going to – I'm not – like I have to do this so for the next guys that are up, you don't – like it's already been established. Like maybe, maybe it's Russell Wilson's way of saying it's still about us players, and I am not management, and I want everybody to understand that I go through the same things, even though the all quarterbacks are treated differently. There's just more responsibility on those guys. Like when you're at home Tuesday and you got the day off during the regular season, and you and your family are going to, you know, maybe you're going to a matinee or maybe you're doing whatever you're doing. You're you've got an appearance, whatever it is. Now, that guy's getting the, the game plan faxed to him, you know, or faxed in my day, emailed to him. Like, it, there's a different level of commitment to that guy, and I think a lot of players don't get to see that. And, and they look at that as like, oh, you're just part of the, you know, you're part of the, the company. You're, yeah, you're a right. Mr. Establishment. Right, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so maybe this is a way that Russell Wilson says, hey, guys, I'm, I'm in the same boat mm-hmm. as you. I'm not Mr. Establishment. Right. Like, I want mine, too. Yeah, good point. Seattle's one of the lucky ones. They have a quarterback. So many teams searching. And help settle an argument for me because you you know how I feel. I think I think a lot of these teams that take quarterbacks in the first round, that they're they're following a herd mentality. They're driven by desperation. The idea that we need a quarterback. And because a quarterback is projected to go in the first round, that's the guy we got to go take. And I've been hearing from others who are like, well, look at all the quarterbacks in the NFL right now that were drafted in the first round. And my argument is is that there's a reason why so many first-round quarterbacks have flooded the market is because so many teams are led around by that feeling of desperation. Right. We have to have one. Mm-hmm. So settle the argument. Is it a case of legitimate first-round quarterbacks are coming into this right. league, or is it that teams – are overdrafting right. quarterbacks who happen to go in the first round. So so last year, you know, we got in these heated debates about the quarterback position and, you know, how important the quarterback position is. And 
the overwhelming majority of people in our business think that if you don't take a guy in the first round that you've just given up. You got to have a first round quarterback. And last year, we affectionately dubbed them the Hall of Fame five. Because there were so many people in our market, the Broncos, we live in Denver, the Broncos were supposed to draft the quarterback or had the number five overall pick. And the mentality, the herd mentality was just take a quarterback, any quarterback, doesn't matter. They're all, you know, going to be first rounders. It's the Hall of Fame five. To the point where I heard different people around our market and other markets talking about the best draft class of quarterbacks since the 1983 class, which, you know, I just laugh. John Elway, Dan Marino, Jim Kelly, uh, Todd Blackledge, Blackledge, Ken O'Brien, Tony Eason. Tony Eason, right? Oh, yeah, it's going to be. I mean, this is like all these guys are. It's just a foregone conclusion. In my, like, like the reason, and you got to go back to the 2011 collective bargaining agreement. Quarterbacks are always, have always been overdrafted, but now more so than ever because it doesn't ham, hamstring your, your franchise for the next 10 years if you draft one of these guys and you miss on them. You know, there's going to be five or six guys, guys that are, are second or third round talent guys that are going to be drafted in the first round this year. Why? Because the investment is small. And if you screw up, you know what? No big deal. And you sell hope. I took a draft. I drafted a quarterback in the first round. Look, fan base, buy season tickets. This guy is the savior. Like right now in Arizona, Josh Rosen, that's what they were selling you last year. Now they're selling it to you again in the form of Kyler Murray. And we're going to move off from Josh Rosen, who was a Hall of Famer last year, but now he's not. How many of these quarterbacks that are in this current market, the way it is right now, whether it's Daniel Jones or whether it's Kyler Murray or whether it's you know Locke or whether it's Will Greer or whoever else may be in the first round this year, how many of these guys would you be willing to invest a first-round pick on if you had to pay him Sam Bradford money. Ooh, that's a great cuz you're right. There was a time where Sam Bradford had 50 million dollars yeah. guaranteed when he got drafted by the then uh St. Louis Rams. That's a great point. Guys were guys were free to go out and make their own deals, right? In the first round. Mm-hmm. You, you weren't slotted or anything like that. There was no rookie wage scale. There was no you know, you're, you're committed for five years, whatever the contract was. And quarterbacks was the contract. were able to ask and demand and get more. And get and get the big-time guaranteed signing bonuses and the big-time guaranteed money. Uh, fascinating point. Do we see the same glut of first-round quarterbacks that have come in in the last few years if that were the old rules? No. No. Because teams then would, they would pause because they'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. I got to I got to have a little bit more assurances that this is the guy before I go to commit Sam Bradford type money. Sure. Whereas right now you're right. I, I you know we saw it here with Paxton Lynch. Paxton Lynch, it, it was clear almost from day one that that it, he was a mistake, but the Broncos were able to really hold on to him. And give him a Hail Mary third year to try to make it work. And what was the rationale? Well, we're not paying him anything. Yeah. You know, we're not paying him anything. So we, we, we might as well. If that is if that is the kind of mentality that's leading teams around saying, hey, look, let's go for it. Okay. We don't know 
if this guy, we don't know mm. if jo- Buffalo, we don't know if Josh Allen's going to work. But what the hell? Right. Let's 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 take the gamble. He's got a lot of potential. Hey, if it works, great. If not, in three years we'll do this all over again. And it's not like we're we're out of our investment. We we you know there, there's very little that will be left to pay him. So we move on, and we'll bring in our new savior, and we'll do this all over again. So Sam Bradford had a fifty-plus million dollar deal, right? And when was he, when was Sam Bradford? Drafted. You remember? Was it like was it 2010? 2000. Yeah, 10. First rounder, 2010. So let's talk about today's money. Okay. So if it was 50 plus million dollars guaranteed in 2010, you know you're sitting at 2019 now. Let's call it 85 million dollars. Oh. Your total guarantee. Okay. What are the odds that the Arizona Cardinals, after drafting Josh Rosen, at what did they draft him last year, at 10? They moved up to 10 to get Josh Rosen? What are the odds that they'd be willing to invest $85 million in Kyler Murray? No way. Zero chance. Zero chance. You're right. You're right. Zero chance. But because, you know, because of the collective bargaining agreement and because the NFL Players Association rolled over and accepted it, they, they, there's no, there's no accountability. Let's throw a dart. Let's see if it works out. It really is not going to cost us that much. And you know what? It gives us a lot of goodwill because we've duped you into this fantasy football generation of thinking that whoever we draft in the first round is the savior. That's that they've duped a fan base. You know, the fan base around like the fan base around here doesn't matter who you draft. You just got to draft a quarterback in the first round because if you draft one in the first round, at least you're showing us that you're serious about fixing the issue. No, you're not. You're buying time. Hey, look at us over here. Come to the circus. It's fun. I love the idea that that when you draft a quarterback in the first round, what's the first thing that everybody says? We've got our guy. We've got our quarterback of the future. No, you don't. Mm -hmm. You hope you do. And and guess what you're going to do? start doing you're going to start developing him right with the hopes that he lives up to all of that but you you have zero assurances the drafting quarterbacks zero. in the first round in my mind is like playing those carnival games that you throw a dollar in to play the carnival game and your odds of winning are next to nothing you know, one of the little clowns that you throw in the ball at is weighted and it never falls off the ledge. Or, you know, you're throwing the basketball and you're trying to take the shot with the basketball hoop and the basketball hoop is bent inward. So it's almost impossible to get it to go through there. You know, I mean, they're all they're rigged games. And and, and even if you do by chance luck out and win, you have spent fifty dollars for a 67 cent, you know, stuffed animal that you get in in return. Mm-hmm. That's that's how the carnival games work, you know? It's JoJo the circus boy. Come look at him. You know, He's incredible, you, you know? You know, Stink, I'm I'm accused of like, "Oh, you 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 just want to take quarterbacks in rounds 2, 3 or or 4." And, you know, actually this discussion actually only emboldens me more because I'm convinced that a number of these quarterbacks who've gone in the first round who would not have been first-round quarterbacks mm-hmm. under the Bradford rules, they would have been second, third-round picks, which is where they should have been drafted, okay? And 
but but the idea that is 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 thrown at me is like, oh well, if you draft a quarterback in rounds two or three, you're drafting him with the understanding you're admitting that you're hoping to develop that guy. You're not convinced that he's going to be a starter. You're just drafting with the hope you could develop develop him. Mm-hmm. And my point is like, duh. What, how is that different than what you ultimately are going to be doing with the quarterback you take in the first round? Right. Now, you'll come out and you'll say all the right things. We found our guy. This mm. is our franchise quarterback. This is our guy for the next decade plus. But then they go back behind closed doors and say, we got to develop this guy. We got to right. work him. The, we got to get the, him to fit into our system. The, we got to build a system yeah. around him. The difference is there's no difference. If you, well, the difference is from a fan's perspective is if you draft somebody in the first round and he doesn't pan out as a franchise, you didn't develop him properly. Correct. If you, if you draft the guy in the third round and he doesn't pan out, well, he wasn't talented. Correct. Enough. Oh, the excuses right. that are made for failed first. You know what? It, it's it's funny it, is if you go back and look at a lot of the. Uh, the dialogue that surrounds failed first-round picks, how many of those first-round picks, the players themselves, are actually held accountable? Or is it mostly, right. well, they didn't develop him properly. They didn't put enough around he him. He wasn't they, in the right system, he wasn't in the right, Oh, I love that one, yeah. wasn't in the right system. Do you ever actually blame the player? Mm-hmm. No, because the player was taken in the first round. The player right. was supposed to be a star. Right. Why? Well, because he went in the first round. Yeah. So if he didn't work out, it's not his fault. No. He's a first-round quarterback. Right. It's got to be somebody else's fault. Right. You know, it's it's interesting because we put so much merit on statistics and analytics and 40 times and all that stuff, right, and these workout warriors and all these things that, that we look at. And we sell you those things. You know, the NFL sells you those things. You watch the combine. You look at all this stuff, and you draft the guy in the first round. And you're right. You don't you don't hold that guy accountable. And, you know, the scouts, it's a way to not have to hold yourself accountable. Well, he had all the measurables. Like, if he can't play, that's on you. It's not on us. It's not on him. It's on you. He had the measurables. You have to make him a football player. And it's interesting because I've seen this happen in baseball where everything has become about Spin rates. There's a lot of organizations that have basically gotten rid of a majority of their scouting departments, and they're just looking at people's spin rates. How many revolutions are on the baseball when you throw it? In your four seam, on your curveball, on your slider, you know, on your two two seam. What are the revolutions? You know, whatever it is, revolutions per second or minute or whatever it is, right? And so it's all spin rate stuff. And I'm watching Cole Hamill's pitch the other day, who's been a phenomenal pitcher. And he's got below average major league spin rates on his four seam, on his, like everything. Yet he just finds ways to be an all star and get guys out, right? And it's so interesting because if he were coming up today with the spin rates he has, he probably wouldn't get an opportunity. It's not about watching a guy and going, ah, he may not have great spin rates, but that dude just gets weak ground balls. He hides the ball well, whatever it is. The hitters don't pick it up, and he just gets outs. But in today's game, now we can't give that guy an opportunity. Look at his spin rate. It's not even average. It's below average. And and I think that's a lot of what scouting and all this stuff has become. It's become, here's some numbers to quantify the guy. If it doesn't work out, that's your fault as a coaching staff. That's your fault as an organization. And you know, it just comes always comes back to this. Look at it on film. Can he get guys out? Can he play? 
because that's what you that's what it comes down to. But I think this whole this this whole we got to take a quarterback for the sake of taking a quarterback, and he's got to be a first rounder because otherwise they don't pan out. I just think that that's a fantasy football narrative that essentially what the organization is selling you is hope. And meanwhile, they can just continue to to use one of your terms, kick the can down the road, right, and and try to figure it out. And, Look, and there are some examples. You know, somebody I'm sure somebody listening right now, probably in Kansas City, would come back and say, well, what about Patrick Mahomes? And, and my argument is that Mahomes – Mahomes was targeted specifically by Andy Reid because Andy Reid, with his vast background with quarterbacks, specifically one Brett Favre, mm-hmm. saw Brett Favre qualities in Patrick Mahomes, which drew him to Mahomes. Mm-hmm. He wasn't – Andy Reid was not looking at that draft as, I need a quarterback, meaning – Right. I need one of fill in the blank right. the pool of available quarterbacks. He wanted Mahomes. He targeted him. He targeted Mahomes. Right. He didn't target a quarterback. He targeted Mahomes. Right. And it was based on his knowledge mm-hmm. of quarterbacks. And he knew what he wanted and what he was looking for. And Mahomes checked a lot of those boxes. And so if you if you right. are targeting somebody, if you are targeting a player not just targeting a quarterback i can respect that but if the mentality is i need a quarterback right pick one yeah that's a loser's move mike if you look at a guy and you see a guy as having generational type talent and the other thing about mahomes you know his he grew up in a big league locker room his dad was a big time big league pitcher for like 14 years so that that movement from college to the pro game was never going to be an issue. Like he'd be he's going to handle that environment. The other thing you had where Andy Reid had this like you didn't need a quarterback. You had a you had a pro bowl quarterback in Alex Smith playing for you and playing well for you and taking you to the playoffs. So you didn't have to do that and you had the ability you had the opportunity to not only hire that guy or draft that guy or move way up in the draft to get him, but then you had the the wherewithal to let him sit and learn under your tutelage and under the mentorship of an all-star quarterback. And, you know, talking to Matt Nagy, who was a coordinator at the time before he went on to be the Chicago Bears head coach, Matt told me point blank, like you can't underestimate the value of Alex Smith in that situation and what he meant to Patrick Mahomes as Patrick Mahomes was trying to learn the NFL game and the value that Alex Smith poured into Mahomes over the course of the year, even knowing that that was going to be his eventual replacement. That takes a lot of professionalism and it takes a guy that's very secure in, in what he does um, to be able to do that. And so... You know, an interesting. There's an interesting dynamic. It, th- taking a quarterback in the first round for the sake of taking a quarterback in the first round because you think you need a quarterback in the first round to be a franchise guy. That's stupid. Now, if you find a guy that you think is a generational guy, like the like last year, it was you can't take a you can't take a guard in the top ten in the NFL. Uh, you can't, right? He's a guard. You can't take him. 
Well, Indianapolis bucked that trend with Quentin Nelson, and guess what? At number six overall, they took him, and people were up in arms about it. And you know what? Dude turned out to be pretty generational. And, um, oh, by the way, not only going to Pro Bowls, but changing the mentality of their offense. It's, it's a pretty it's a, it's a pretty big kind of pick. Yeah. So if you find a guy that you think is that guy, then then knock yourself out. But understand that the – the process of determining that that is your guy. Understand that it probably takes an Andy Reid type right. character to to recognize what he specifically yeah. is looking for. Because as you have shared before on this podcast, you've talked to Kyle Shanahan, as bright an offensive mind as there is in football today. Mm-hmm. And what did he tell you? I think it bears repeating. What did he tell you about the challenge right now when it comes to evaluating quarterbacks out of college? What did he tell you? He said that coming out of these spread systems in college where the players don't call plays, where they just look to the sideline and, you know, look at a car that has a barn, a chicken, and a horse, and we're going to run horse. He said the only thing you can truly evaluate is arm talent. Okay. So if Kyle Shanahan, as bright an offensive guy as there is in football, says the only real way that you can – evaluate a quarterback coming out of college is just simply arm talent. Uh-huh. That's it. Then what does that tell you about all the teams that are picking quarterbacks in the first round and what they're basing that pick on? You think it is a hard and fast conclusion that is reached that this guy absolutely checks every box or right. is it just he does have the arm talent. He's got some good size. Mm-hmm. He's got some good mobility. And we need a quarterback. So let's hope. When I'm calling the Browns game last year, talking to John Dorsey, who's their general manager. John's a football guy through and through. You know what his biggest thing about Baker Mayfield was? Dude is all balls. That was it. Like, I had to have him just because of his freaking balls, man. Like, he like he changes the attitude you get around him, not scared, confident, not afraid to get in your face, not afraid to play with the chip on his shoulder. It's just like that was the takeaway. It wasn't about his height or his arm talent, although he has great arm talent, but it wasn't about it wasn't about any of the other stuff. Like his evaluation on on Baker Mayfield, Mike was intangibles. Mm-hmm. Now it happens, you know, it happens to to just be the fact that that Baker is really intelligent, he's got a great football mind, he's got kind of almost this photographic type of memory for plays and recall and all that kind of stuff. So that was the that that was one of the things that obviously they looked at. But more than anything, talking to Dorsey, it was just the way he carried himself. You know, and some people would sit there and say, Oh, he's too arrogant or he's too this or he's too that. John Dorsey was like, No, no, no. We need some attitude here. We need somebody who's not just going to be okay with the status quo and losing. We need somebody to to walk. And, and like, I just found it fascinating that all this 40 times and vertical jumps and eye tests and shuttle tests and all this, it came down to balls. Came down to he's just a different cat. Like, it came down to the intangible stuff that you don't measure at the Combine. That's what the Cleveland Browns liked about Baker Mayfield, and it seems early to have paid 
huge dividends. So I'm wondering then for all these quarterbacks that win the first round over the last handful of years that that really haven't worked out, and the Winstons, the Mariotas, the the Bortles, guys like that. Yeah. The Lynches. All, all these quarterbacks that win the first round Gabbert, that didn't work. You know, Gabbert. I mean, there's a- what did those teams when push came to shove? What did they say? This is what stands out about, out about that guy. Because I have a feeling it was, we a need lot a, of it was like, well, we need a quarterback. We need a quarterback. This guy's got a big arm. He's got talent. We need a quarterback, and this guy's rated as a first-rounder. I, I think that's what a lot of teams get duped into. Hey, I'd rather get football players and build a great football team. You can win with a guy who can manage a game until you find a guy you know that that is that generational-type talent. I argued I, with a guy uh, – and, and and I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to keep drafting year after year, best player available. Uh-huh. You keep reaching for quarterbacks. Right. And in the long run, I'm going to win. Right. I'm going to win more. Well, there's, Mike, there's, I'm going to win more. There's no question. There is, there is no question. I 100% agree with, with that evaluation. And Cleveland is the perfect case in point. Tim Couch, Brady Quinn, Brandon Whedon, Johnny Manziel. This is just off the top of my head. Yeah. Right? I mean, they went after those guys, and guess what it got them? 0-16, mm-hmm. 4-12. I mean, that's that's where they were. That's who they were forever. But then they found a player who's a good player who they thought was generational, and it looks to have, you know, flipped them to the next level. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. But was it worth waiting this long? Ask a Browns fan. Mm-hmm. Was it worth waiting well over a decade? Listen, if two decades. If two they decades? win, if they win, if they win anything this year, if they even sniff the playoffs. Oh, he'll be a hero. Oh, the, the But it's still not it still doesn't make up for two decades of just Chasing your tail at the quarterback position. The Browns will. They'll. The Brown fans. They'll forget God it just them. like that. Oh my gosh! Yes. <laughs> they are so hungry for. They anything. are hungry. They are so hungry. God, for they're hungry. Oh my gosh! And I'm thirsty. After now, all that talking, I'm thirsty. I need myself a core water. There you go. Hey, uh, I'd like to thank uh, everybody involved in the show, especially our presenting sponsor, Core Water. Uh, Stinky Truth Podcast. Share it with your friends. Thank you so much for listening.